And did you ever find yourself, though, you walk into church and you go to somebody and you ask the question, how you doing? Now, what you want to hear is everything's going great. Good week, you know, everything went a very positive note. But if we were really, really to be honest with each other and really say how we do actually feel, how miserable our week truly was, my back's killing me, my knee's hurting, I got this ache, are you a doctor? You know, so, you know, you go, we're, we're, really, we're really not real honest about how we're really doing. But sometimes there's people you go to and you say, how are you doing? And for the next hour, you will hear how they are doing. They believe in being thorough with everything that's been going on in their week, the calls, the negative things, the kids, the grandkids and work, and they go on, and you could be there for a while, longer than the preacher. There, there are times that, though, we do go in around people and we say, how you doing? And they are honest because there's something new, something pressing on their lives, and they need to talk. And uh, it's interesting, the last couple of weeks, as I have been talking just generally to a lot of you and just asking that question to how you doing, and words like, we are so busy, we don't know how to keep up with everything. Uh, it's been crazy. Health-wise, this has been going on, and then we have this pressure over here, and it's like we don't have any time for anything. It's like there's no time for us, and we go on, and, and these are the retired people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And, and it's, we're busy. You know what I did this past week? I took my phone and I forgot it. On purpose. I did. Because I needed just a little bit of just, it's amazing we got these electronics and we were actually duped into believing that they're going to be time savers. They made us believe you can do everything now from your smartphone. You can act smart. And you can actually do your emails and everything there. And then you go home and it's, you're done for the day. No. No. They forgot to tell you the little thing at the bottom. Work follows you home then. They have you everywhere, 24-7. And if you don't get back with them, if you wait till the next day, how dare you? Aren't I important? Wasn't this urgent? No, you know, hey, work is work. Take it all the time. And it's like we can't even shut down. And we are so busy. And once in a while, what we have to do is stop it. Many things we put upon ourselves that are discouraging us in times when we should be encouraged. So today's message is discouragement, encouragement, discouragement, encouragement. And for the next few weeks, we're going to Thanksgiving in there, but we're going to take a little time and we're going to look at the life of Elijah. It starts out discouraging. In the middle of the sandwich, it gets encouraging. And then at the end, it gets discouraging. And we'll pick up with discouragement next week and encouragement. And we'll maybe end with encouragement next week. But isn't that the reality of our lives? Um, 
it will be nice if the way we planned our day out, it would end up. Like the guys that went on the mission trip to Haiti, you know, you had it all planned out. This is what we're going to get done. And it's just like, you get there. Uh-uh. My first time to Haiti, uh, had it all laid out, what was going to happen. We weren't two miles down the road. Flat tire. They'll say, that's no big deal. No, you understand. They don't have spares. You know, they don't have spares. So we're standing along the road. And, and we in America, we say, what a waste of time. Can't you people get your act together? We should already have this thing changed. You should have a flight. Everything should be going. And so we stop another tap tap. It's just like, hey, we got these people from America. We need to. So they literally unloaded all of the Haitians that were on this tap tap. And we, the white guys, rich people, whatever they were thinking, what losers. We lose our ride, so you get it. I still can't wrap my brain around what happened in that occasion, but we got it. And we went on our merry way, and those people were standing along the road. I'm sure that wasn't real encouraging for them. We can be the purpose of discouragement in other people's lives. We should be the encouragers. Elijah, uh, this text as we're getting started, you say, well, what's the background with Elijah the prophet? You got it right here. This is the first message, the first me- uh, time this man's name is mentioned. We don't have anything besides where what little we have here, and he comes on the scene, and a man named Ahab is the king of Israel. And this king, it tells us, you know, his father uh, was a really bad king, uh, Omri was his dad, and it was said of him in the previous chapter that uh, he was horrible. I mean, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, and then, uh, you know, he did evil, and says worse than all of the kings before him. Now, this is his daddy. And then Ahab comes on the scene, and it says uh, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. How would you like to have your name in the Bible as the worst king of all times? (laughs) This poor guy's a loser. So this is the kind of a loser he was. He takes of all the wives he could have chosen, of all the land, the king, he decides to to marry, to take to himself Jezebel. Hi, what's your wife's name? Jezebel. And right away, you know that this is such a negative, ungodly, wrong relationship, and he, through all of this, serves the, the deity of the Phoenicians, which is Baal worship which is, well, just it's Sunday morning, so we'll just say it's like really, really bad. You can use your imagination. And these people were serving, and God says, that's it. I've had enough with these people. They do corrupt things, building Jericho, and hell was part of that, and kids die. It just, it's just like negativity, negativity, negativity. And here comes Elijah on the scene. <clears throat> and Elijah, as he comes on the scene, he somehow gets the ear of the king. In and of itself, that has to be of God. To be able to get to him and to be able to look at him and to say, it's going to stop raining for three years just like I am telling you. And that's the message. And he walks out. Now, you say... Would that be encouraging or discouraging for the man Elijah? Well, 
How can I say it except maybe this way? As we in our country, which I love, but folks, you know and I know, the last thing we like to do is to read the newspaper. To turn on any of the news networks to find out who's fighting with who politically, who's blowing up who. Oh, there's yet another earthquake. And you look at all of the news, and it's depressing. The newspaper, Israel's truth, was, oh, the king, you can see him on the, on the high thing bowing down to all of these worship, uh, and bowing down to all these things and worshiping them, and there's his beautiful wife right beside him. All the priests of Baal are all surrounding, and isn't this a beautiful thing? And the true Christians are going, Ugh. I mean, Elijah's coming to him, this had to have been difficult. But it had to be done. And had Israel been following the true God that has saved them and delivered them and all, his job would not have been required. But because of the negativities of the nation, it falls on him to perform things that are not easy. This day and age, folks, that we live in as Christians, uh, it is very discouraging to me. And as I listen to many of you comment, you know, in a Sunday school this morning, you know, the comments that are talked about, about uh, local politicians and their stands that go directly against the Bible, you stop and you say, how can we have gotten here? And yet we're here with this whole message that he gives to the king that there's not going to be any dew, nor rain, no moisture, not even at night. Now with this message that he is giving, you would think that as he's giving this message, he would be looking at them and saying, this is what's going to happen to you. But that's not the case. The truth is, his message is going to happen to all of us. He included. The Lord tells us how the rain falls upon the just as well as the unjust. And therefore, when it doesn't rain on the just, it doesn't rain also on the unjust. We all, even as Christians, with what is going on, in the land of the free, the home of the brave, what is going to happen to them is going to be happening to us too. So what does God do with Elijah? What does he do for him that you and I can learn from to get ready for the battle? As I said, these next weeks we're going to be looking at this man's life in sections of what happens in his life. Today's the first. You say, well, these men, like Elijah, they were special men. They had capes, a big S on their chest, and, you know, no bullets could ever penetrate them, and that's what we've got to learn. Look at James with me. The book of James, New Testament, and let's see what God says about this man, Elijah. Elijah. 
We're looking at the uh, last chapter of the book of James, chapter number 5 and verse number 17. Elias, I'm sorry, I'll wait till you're there, is again, James 5, verse 17, and we'll also read 18. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions, notice this, as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years, six months. He prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And of course, he talks about many other things building on this case of James 5. But this is what I want you to see out of this. Not only that Elijah was a man of prayer, and we ought to be men of prayer and women of prayer, and we ought to believe God in our prayer, and he was fervently praying for God to stop the heavens because he says to Ahab this is going to be according to my word now if you know the Bible well you'll remember back in the book of Deuteronomy God had actually told Israel if you go after gods you know what I'm going to do to you I'm going to stop the heavens from raining on you I'm going to put you through a famine don't go after other gods And sure enough, he knew by God's word that this was going to happen, but he's putting his life, his his accountabilities, absolutely, but his credibilities on these words that he's giving to Ahab. Do you think Ahab took him serious? They didn't repent. They didn't change. Obviously not. And so Elijah, he prays, and he prays. But what I want you to see is that this man was subject or underneath like we are in the like passions as we are. Bodily, mentally, he was the exact same as you and I. And you wait till we show you, if you've not studied Elijah's life, how far into the pit mentally And physically, this guy goes. This man understood hunger. This man understood when that brook's drying up, I'm thirsty. He understood what it was like to be weary, to require angels' food. This man understood what it was like to go through many things that you and I can go through And he didn't have a pill to take to help him through it. He didn't have any source. It was him and God. So that's a little bit about Elijah. Elijah was known as one of the greatest prophets ever. In the end of uh, the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, you'll see that there's a prophecy that Elijah was going to return. You look at the book of Matthew, and you'll find that Jesus says, when John the Baptist came, he says, this is the one that's fulfilling that prophecy. John the Baptist is that man. He is the greatest prophet of all times. Words from Jesus concerning John the Baptist. This Elijah is the one that on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
is there along with Moses, with Jesus on that mount in his glorified state that Peter, James, and John had the privilege of witnessing. And and that really happened. This is not storytelling. This stuff literally happened. Elijah, the great prophet. What does God do with him? Look back with me to 1 Kings 17. We'll develop this. Verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, that's Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, or leave where you are at, turn thee eastward. So he's going on to the east side of Jordan. And I tried to pinpoint, there's so many different commentaries and ideas of, of where this particular brook, Cherith, is at. And bottom line is, we don't know exactly. But he hides himself by the brook, Cherith, that is before Jordan, it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. By the way, remember, this is God telling him before it happens what is about to happen to him. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He he obeyed. And he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. So, God takes this man, Elijah, the great prophet, he, he fulfills what God wanted him to do, talk to the king, and then leave, and God takes him and isolates him. Matter of fact, many believe that on either side of Jordan are these ravines and these deep valleys, places that just people just don't travel. It's hard, rocky, and it's not easy to get around. And these little brooks would flow through those coming into Jordan. And so he's in this obscure place all by himself, and he doesn't have a cell phone. He does not have internet. He doesn't even have any of your games. He doesn't have angry birds. He has nothing to occupy his mind except himself and his thoughts. That's all he's got. His thoughts, alone with God. Hmm. What would we do if we were in the middle of the wilderness? Nobody could hear you crying. You're there all by yourself. You're sitting on a rock and you say, here I am. You don't know how long you're going to be there. You're just sitting on a rock in the middle of nowhere. Now remember, this is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Israel even looked at John and said, Are you Elijah? And Jesus, are you Elijah? Are you this great prophet comparing Elijah to the Messiah? Sitting on a rock in the middle of the wilderness. This little brook going by him. No food. No McDonald's. No nothing. Zip. Zero. Stars. Now remember, there's no rain. And there's no dew, there's no moisture, just this little brook. And whether it's six inches deep or whether it's a foot deep, who knows how this little brook is, but he's looking, he can't go fishing. He can't go hunting. That's a tough one, Nate. He's just sitting there. Why would God isolate God knows our end. Ours is to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 
We're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, not to lean on our own understandings and all of our ways acknowledge him and he'll direct our paths. He is here. I see this as a time when God is preparing him for what he is about to go through. Some of you sort of know what you're about to go through. Some of you who have recently found out you have cancer, surgery's coming up, you know what's coming to a point. This man didn't know what was about to happen. He didn't know about Jezebel. He didn't know about the widow. He was just here by himself. And you would think such a waste because he'd go be out to Israel and trying to tell them to repent. Come back to God. Change your lifestyle. Get away. But no, this wasn't about Israel. This was the preparation of the prophet. When was the last time you shut your TV, radio, any type of stimuli that's out there, just shut it down and listen? Listening to God. Letting Him, what my preacher said, you know, back in the 70s, you know, we we didn't have the boomers that you guys have these day and age with with stereos, but we still would try to crank it up. That's why my hearing's going, I think. Because not only was it loud, it was distorted and it didn't sound good at all. So we would try to, you know, have it loud. And my preacher, I remember him talking and saying, why, why is it that we, when we're listening to this, why is it that we have to have it so loud? You know, you can hear the car. Five miles before it hits your house. And it hurts your ear. Your windows are going with it. And you know what I do? I imagine being in the car. They have to have earplugs and things on the outside blocking it in. Or they, they, huh? You know, they couldn't hear. But anyways. And he'd always say, are we trying to just block out God? Block out listening even to the conscience inside of us. The older I get, I went, for, I went from, you know, CDs to FM radio, 40-something, you get to AM talk shows. And now that I'm 50-something, I turn it all off. It's all noise to me. It just drives me nuts. Because you turn it on 15 minutes later, you got really everything that's going on. It's a recycle and a recycle, the same old, same old, same old. And it's nothing new under the sun. And I stop and I find myself being able to think and allow this to come out, the heart to come out, the inside. I get to reflect. I get to judge myself. I get to think, am I, am I serving the Lord today? Elijah had this time, I call it a time of refreshment, a time to get rejuvenated, a time alone when there's not people drawing from you. There's nothing happening that is, that is pulling your thoughts, pulling and, and just yanking at you, and you're torn about which way do I go? How many things can I get done in a day? Uh, and, and before long, you know, you, you're bald, and 
you're just like, where am I? And what am I doing here? And instead it gives us perspective. And a chance for us is he was, to look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. We get to think about God. This is the time of encouragement. And you know what the really neat thing is? God says, I'm going to take care of the food. Free food for men is a really big thing. Okay? And we love the thought of not having to pay, prepare, no dishes afterward. Life is, life is good. And so God says, I'm going to take care of you. Now, it's interesting. Is a couple of the liberal commentaries that I read said that the ravens were actually merchants. People that were coming by that would bring food and he, you know, kind of like these, you know, people that drive around and, and they have these cars full of sandwiches and they go to the factories and they flip it open and say, hey, what would you like to buy here? Okay. The only reason I could think of that a theologian would try to say that these were not ravens, they weren't actual birds that were bringing the food is because they can't believe the Bible. It's anything I can come up with. Um, you know, it's just like, how could you not take literally the Word of God that what He is saying is there instead of trying to say or trying to scientifically, scientifically prove how this could have happened? It was a miracle. Okay? Number one, ravens don't cook. I have not seen a raven take uh, dough and all the ingredients, you know, things that make dough, and, and you know, uh, punch it all down, and knead it, and get it all rising, and I, I haven't seen one have, um, have, have an oven yet to, to bake it. Um, I haven't seen them cook up flesh, you know. Uh, they, they, you see along the road what they do. They are, they are dirty scavengers. Matter of fact, they were, in the Old Testament, looked at as un clean animals. And that's why the theologians say it couldn't have been real ravens because they're unclean and Elijah couldn't have touched unclean things. He wasn't eating the birds. He was bringing what the birds were giving him. It was still clean. You follow me? This is the stuff I have to read through just to preach to you folks. <sighs> Anyways, so, so these ravens have prepared Cooked, because he didn't have an oven. He didn't have any way of cooking the meat either. And it had to be clean, cooked food for him. So our imagination has to roll right here, does it not? How was Elijah sitting on a rock, watching a little bit of water, driven by, you know? This is soothing. And all of a sudden he's... These birds start flying over, and they start landing around him. And he notices... He notices that they have food. Y'all been hungry before? You know what I mean? When you haven't eaten and you're really, really, really hungry. I had a wedding. Uh, we were in Chicago. Jennifer and Brendan, their wedding. And, and that day, it was just one of those days, I hadn't eaten all day long. And he took us to this real nice Italian restaurant in Chicago. And uh, I was there, and I ordered my normal eggplant parmesan. And I said to my wife, I said, this is the best eggplant parmesan I've ever had in all of my life. Folks, I realize now, it may not have been the best I've ever had in all my life, maybe it was, but I was starving. And when you're hungry, everything has taste. 
Everything is better. You're not worried about the seasonings. It just smells great. And here these these birds ah, ah, flying around him and dropping off the bread and fresh meat, fish, whatever it was they were have they have prepared for him, and they drop it off and they fly away. And it didn't happen one time. It happened at morning. It happened in the evening. And he had all the food that he needed in this little brook going by. And he just gets to sit and eat and drink and relax. This sounds like a vacation to me. This guy is away from everything, able to just focus. I believe these were real Literal birds that God had prepared to bring this. You say, where did they get the food then? I love the way one man said it. Hmm. I wonder if from the palace itself. They were able to fly when the bread was warming out on the window seal. They'd fly, fly by and say, ooh, that would be just perfect. Let me pick this up with my little claws and bring it over and just drop it off for him. So he can eat from the house. Actually, from the palace, the best prepared food in the nation, brought, delivered, paid for, and given to the prophet. It is amazing how God provides for us, is it not? It is an encouraging thing to see God bringing, using people, using things to bring in. Our years of Bible college were some of the most, well, they were different years. Because you did, you, you know, you did the math. You know, you're in Bible college. You do the math. You have, you know, uh, you know, two and a half, you know, kids to start school, and then three near the beginning, and then four by the end. And you did the math on the paper of what your bills are, school bills, and everything else. And we were basically in red every month. We should not have been able to make it for three month, for three years. Literally, didn't make enough. And guess what? The bills were all paid in full. And it was neat to see how God would provide things and food and cash at times and Oreo cookies at times or whatever it is that they would, people would just bring it in. And you just stop and you say, God, this is awesome. And it, it was always better. It was always better. Matter of fact, those years, we, we look at them as the best years of our lives because of watching God work. And providing. Isn't that an encouragement? And all of you as Christians could stand up and say, let me tell you the time. Let me tell you when, when God took something that was wee wee little and he made it really, really big. It was like the feeding of the four and the five thousand. It didn't seem like it was enough. But guess what? It was. God just blessed it and multiplied it. And all was well. And boy, those are encouraging years. And it gets us through that moment, gets us through that month, and then next month, we have to trust God again. These times in his life had to be a time of preparation. Today's message is, how how can we, as Christians, get encouragement if we are so busy with life that we're not even listening to the Spirit of God inside of us. 
we have radios and TVs and, yeah, Penn State didn't play yesterday. How'd Notre Dame do? They do okay? They win? And, you know, we, we have these fun things that we do, and they can be refreshing. I watch football, you know. I, use, I sleep to football. I do it when I go to sleep. <laughs> I don't like it, man. You know, and, and we, we enjoy things. We enjoy, you know, my wife and I, we play, you know, you know, games and stuff at the table, you know, and she usually beats me. It's all fun. We need all of that stuff. But, folks, there's times that you need to just go. Not even, not even with your sweetie. You get alone with God. And it is a time of refreshment. Our Savior, as the example, oft times he would go by himself up into a mount. We don't have mountains around here. Wish we did. We have some ridges down our way, you know, so I'll try to walk up this little hill imagining it's a mountain. You know, getting up there where it's quiet. And, and I'll, you know, sometimes I'm down at Bonneville, and, and I'll just go down there and pray, and if I'm able to, and just take my Bible and read. I just get alone. And you say, what does it do? To me, that time alone is not in an office. You know, I'm out. Nobody's around. No phones. I'll leave it all behind, and I just listen. And I find myself revived inside of me. I'm not complaining. I'm just, I'm just saying a reality is I don't have a lot of downtime. I don't. And that's okay. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I don't have a lot of downtime. And I need at times to get away and to get alone with God. And shut your TVs, phones computers, you can live without Facebook for a little while, but somebody might be sending me something. Get it later. Shut it. We are so, it's like we have this chain around us that we can't live without it. Freedom. Cut it off. And listen to God for a change. The still, small voice is to be heard. And if all the clutter in our lives are shutting it out, how will we listen to what God is trying to say to us? I'm not going charismatic on you here today, but folks, we sometimes as baptistic in our, in our ideas and our doctrines sometimes can stifle what the Spirit of God is doing inside of us individually to equip us for what God is preparing us to do. And if we have no strength, if we are uh, embittered, if we are hurting inside, how can we help if we ourselves have not spent time with God to get refreshed, to get ready to give again? Because we are not all powerful. We can't keep producing in ourselves as Christians what we need for the battles that are raging inside of us and around us. But if we have our time alone with God and we have that sweet hour of prayer, you say, I don't have time to pray. Thank you. That's my point. 
we're too busy to pray. We're too busy for everything that would include God. Sabbath. Shut down. No working. Just totally shut down. You say, I don't have time to shut down. This is what I'm talking to for us as Christians today. Why don't we? Is this something that we have caused upon ourselves? Because guess what's about to happen? Those refreshing times that we're experiencing, that cold brook water, this food is coming, and you look down and that six, 12 inches of water is down to three now. It's starting to dry up. Before long, you can hardly see it. Before long, it's, man, it's kind of mud down there. There's no more refreshment here. And so God tells him in the seventh verse, it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. He was reaping what he had preached. It's happening to him. And the refreshment's gone. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just go up into the mountaintop experiences and get away and get alone? And it's always like that, but that's not the reality of it. Because we've got to come back down off the mount. We've got to come back to the reality of this world and we've got to actually go back to work. We actually have to talk to people. Do our emails and do that work thing that we do. And here... But somehow back here, because we've had our time alone with God, we can do it. Do you find yourself out of strength? Do you find yourself totally, constantly in a state of discouragement? It may be that as Elijah was told by God to get alone, you might get one to get alone with God. And you say, how can I do that? You've got to talk to your spouse. You may need to talk with your children. Whatever it's going to take. I don't like the system that we're in. I don't like how we are locked in as Americans to this point where it's almost like we're so busy that we're so busy that we can't even include God in it all. And that's just, that's, we have our priorities wrong. I want you and I to stop and think about my time with God, my time in prayer, my time of refreshment, my time of encouragement. You say, preacher, I got four kids. I got five or six kids or two kids, whatever. Kids on the way, don't feel good and all that. And I understand that. I understand that. Folks, I'm afraid that if we as an individual don't have, don't put aside that time that we are refreshed by being alone with our God, that what we are trying to do in our homes, in our family, and everything else could be a failure. This seems like it's a waste of Elijah's time in life. But if he didn't have this time of revival inside of him, how much worse would have been 
when he went out. Trust me, he's got some discouragement coming his way. And we're going to see this. Discouragements, encouragements, and discouragements, and encouragements. Are you having your daily devotions? Are you reading your Bible? Do you realize most who claim to have Christ as their Savior would answer no to that question? Your prayer life, do you have a structured prayer life? Most Christians would say no. Do you have any time alone and it's just you and God? And what's sad is most Christians would say, I don't do that. But let me tell you all my problems and my discouragements and how tired I am and how everything around me is negative, negative, negative. Do you think maybe it's because as an individual that you haven't taken the ownership onto yourself to say, I need to get ready with God's help so that I can tackle the problems of the day. Make sense? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There is a power that the Spirit of God has inside of us if we put on the new man. If we have a renewing of the mind, we sacrifice self, we put God first, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We could go on and on with portions of Scripture that tell us about you and I are supposed to have the, the inner man renewed daily. God wants to use you. He wants to empower and enable you to do great things. You know what I notice? I, got it. I know I've got to shut down. You know what I notice when I'm, when I'm just, everything's shut off, and I'm just driving down the road? You know what I do? I think about you. That's what I'm doing. I'm thinking about people. And I'm starting to pray, you know, for Vicki and John. I'm starting to pray because of the things that they're going through. And I started thinking of Mary Ellen. And I think of Gene. That's hard times. But if I'm busy with my mind with other things, I'm not, I'm not able to take that time to stop and to pray for them. And many times I'll just call people up or shoot them out of, you know, an email real quick and say, hey, you were in my mind. Just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. You know why? Because everything else is shut off. You know what I found? That God puts people into our minds and into our hearts that are hurting and we get to encourage them. And I wish I could call all 350 or however many here. I wish I could call you every day and just say, you know what, your preacher loves you. And I know you're going through a whole lot right now. And so what I say is, God, you know them all. <laughs> I, I wish I could by name every one of you because you, know you know what's some? Because you all will come up and say, I just want you to know, uh, you know, uh, Carl and Nathan and, and Mark, all you guys, we pray for you on a daily basis. What an encouragement that is. But I pray for my deacons, and I pray for my trustees, and I pray for, you know, Mark, and he's preaching down there in, in Topeka, and, and Nathan, and so many, Mark, the music, everything that's going on, we pray. And what an encouragement to know the people have set aside some time to pray. We're so busy, folks, 
that we're neglecting the most important things of our lives. We would never think about missing a meal. But we'll forget to pray. We'll forget to say, God, what's going on? Talk to me today. And then when we get that encouragement, we're able to take this dose of encouragement and come over here and then what she's able to do is give it back to the next people behind and give you guys a dose of encouragement and then you can pass it over because I know we're all going through problems. All of us. And then y'all can take it over here because these folks are going through some problems. And before long you're encouraging one another because we're listening to the Spirit of God and what God is doing inside of our lives. Alone with God, David talked about the bed and how he was there on his bed worshiping. Alone with God. Alone with God. Elijah sitting on a rock, a little bit of water. Alone with God. Father, I sense in your people here discouragements and hurts trying to figure things out. It seems like, Lord, we're spinning our wheels sometimes in the mud. Nothing's happening. We're just staying still. Lord, may we as a people in this church begin to do it your way. Because we don't know what's going to be happening next week or the following week. But Lord, if we're not alone with you now... We're not going to be strong enough to handle the adversity that's going to be coming tomorrow. Lord, as we look at our lives and see the times of discouragement, may we quickly remember Elijah and to see how he had to be alone with you. The example of our Savior to be alone with you, that we can be refreshed inside that we could be encouraged in our hearts. Because Lord, sometimes people can discourage us. Sometimes situations, money problems, health issues, so many things that can, can tear us down. But Lord, if we have that time alone with you, I really believe that you will renew us and help us. But I don't know who this message is for besides me in this room, but Lord, help us to be like Elijah and get alone with you. Bless this time, Lord, and use this brief invitation, Lord. It is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together, heads bowed and eyes closed. And I know this has not been a salvation message in any way, but my friend, if you've been hearing about Jesus dying on the cross for your sin, rising from the dead, and He wants to save you, it's true, and you come down, we'll be glad to share with you the Word of God and how you can become a child of God. Today's message was for us as Christians. Maybe there's some areas you need to talk to the Lord and make some commitments and, and take this time to prepare to separate and to be alone with you as she begins to play.
Dave's uh, is going to close us in a word of prayer today, and uh, I'll be down front here by the piano if you are visiting, and we have not had the opportunity to meet. I'd love for you to come down so I could get to know you, and uh, thank you for uh, coming. I trust you'll be back tonight when the doors are open, and uh, have a blessed week. Dave, close us, sir. Dear Jesus, um, I thank you for this day. I thank you for giving your life for us, for taking the punishment that we deserve. I pray that as we go through the uh, encouragements and discouragements of life that we know that you're with us and that you care for us and we can always trust in you. I pray that we'd take time to to spend with you and uh, that we would uh, get rid of the distractions around us and just spend time with you. Amen.